gangster up in here to do this with but before we go any further let me introduce the rest of cab starting off with the co-creator executive producer uh co-conspirator of fun entertaining and interesting talk about what matt calls the unexplained money nathan what's up brother Mm -hmm. yes indeed unexplained it's going well good to be with you guys happy wednesday it feels like a wednesday which is rare. Usually Wednesdays feel like Thursdays. So it is Wednesday and I'm feeling it and I'm excited about it. That's right. And you know what? This one been circled on the calendar for a little bit. Uh, but let, let's talk about our, uh, our person that's in the mental health field. Uh, someone who's an original gangster of the joint, uh, someone who we love very much. And that is a study of UAPs also known as Deb. Hello everyone. Happy hump day. <laughs> Hello Deb. So, so glad to have you here, buddy. I'm glad you were able to make it because you've been putting in some long hours over there making sure people are taken care of. Obviously, uh, Julie's in the chat. What's up? Hi, Jules. Welcome back again. Uh, this is your second episode back. And, of course, my homie from up in the great white north, Scott Gearin, our pararescue legend. Uh, man, uh, our guest, we got to tell him about some of the tracks and howls that this dude's hearing right outside his property. Uh, so before uh, further ado, though, uh, th- this episode is brought to you by none other than the host of Bigfoot Crossroads and new cabbie, Matt Knapp. Here I am stuck in the middle with you. <laughs> middle of the week, uh, middle of the week. I used to sing that song when I was active duty. We'll get we'll get to that later. Uh, and man, back from living, loving. She's just a woman, as Led Zeppelin might say, out west, skiing her ass crazy. off. Put it together for Leah. Prime time. Prime time. Oh man, DJ. It should be my ringtone. Hey folks. <laughs> Welcome back, Primetime. We missed you, buddy. We're glad that we could get you off the slopes. And the only reason is, is I told the chairlift guy to shut it off, man. I'd send him 100. <laughs> so, uh, that's how we got you from night. Shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, man, so again, this one was circled on the calendar. And uh, when, when it went down, I was, he's like, oh, man, I know. I know, Vic. I, I can get this up. I'm like, Matt, man, original gangster, man. He goes, I can, I can make this happen. I was like, awesome. So uh, our guest tonight is the prolific host of three shows, Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio, My Bigfoot Sighting, and Dogman Encounters. He treats the experiencers with care and respect and offers that same regard to both Bigfoots and Dogmen themselves. Party people, put those hands together for Mr. Vic Conde! <laughs> Woo! Yeah! <laughs> well, thanks for the great invite and the good introduction. I don't deserve it, but yeah, thank you. 
Damn, the way you're taking care of everybody, Vic, you deserve this, man. The way you know, Nathan's listened to these episodes. He turned me on to your joint, and um, you know, just like I said, the care and the regard uh, with which you 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 treat the people that come on, uh, the empathetic way that you deal with them, and also I could tell that you have a genuine respect for these creatures, uh, all of all of them that that we've mentioned in the intro. Well, I don't have a genuine respect for dogmen. Sasquatch, I do, but you can only talk with so many eyewitnesses who have been tormented by these guys, by these mm-hmm. things, and have respect for them. I mean, what they do in a lot of cases, in most cases, is pretty despicable when they interact with people. So, no, I don't have any respect for dogmen. Not for I think dog it's horrible okay. how they how they interact with people not all dogmen of course but the ones that do interact with people in almost every case it's just deplorable how they go out of their way to to terrorize people and try to ruin their lives it's just horrible i i have an idea about that i I think nathan will sign on to this that i wanted to float to you but you know cab has done certain fundraisers and stuff before um, so what if we were to raise money to get a uh, frontline t- top spot, you know, flea and tick preventative, and then we'll distribute it out in the LBL to Dogman? Wouldn't that improve their mood if we were? To, I mean, Dogman doesn't want to be coated with teas, fleas and ticks. I mean, you know, is that an idea that's worth doing? You know, is, is making sure they're treated for fleas and ticks. Maybe they'd be friendlier. Well, I don't know about fleas, but I do know the ticks are a big problem in the LBL, so it might help. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, I endeavor. We'll have to get together. Nathan, we got to distribute. Dogman deserves flea and tick prevented. Would you agree? It's a must. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, what? Uh, we'll put it on the healthcare plans. Put it that way. What about milk bones? Milk Come bones. Guys. I mean, right? Ridiculous. For the good boys. Yeah, that's Definitely. right. For all the good boys. Mm-hmm. If you don't attack a human, at least this week, you know, I'm willing to spring for a Nyla bone just so you can chew on it. And, of course, obviously some some large, large sized milk bones. But uh, that aside, all kidding aside, uh, let me pass you over to the capable hands of my brother, Money Nathan. Vic, it is great to have you with us. Uh, I can't say just like how impressed I am with all the shows that you do and, and the way that you treat your guests, as DJ said. Uh, it, you know, we're big, big fans of that and your content. Um, I was listening to one of your recent shows and I was really struck by something that the guest said. And I, I wondered if you kind of reflected on this a little bit as well, but they basically put it like this, that, that the sane response to experiencing something like this, experiencing a cryptid, a uh, dog man, a Bigfoot, whatever, is to be obsessed with it. And I wonder after all the interviews that you've done, your own experiences, if that uh, you know resonates with you. Well, the response you get from my witnesses is kind of a binary situation. On one hand, you've got the people who are just drawn to it like a, a moth to a flame. They can't get enough info about dogmen. It's an obsession after they have their first encounter. And then on the other hand, you've got this group of people who, after having their experience, in a lot of cases, we're talking about particularly bad ones, but they don't want anything to do with the topic. They avoid thinking about dogmen, werewolves. They just avoid it like the plague. So, yeah, some people, while some do actually get drawn to the topic and they have this insatiable desire for knowledge, like I said, others, they don't want a thing to do with it. So it just depends on the person. And 
it really depends on the nature of the encounter they had. Do you find that those that have been traumatized, I mean, it seems like that would be their initial reaction is to not want anything to do with it, but those who have worked through the trauma by processing it, where, where do you find that they come out at the end of that experience? Well, a lot of it just has to do with the nature of the person. Some people, after they've processed it and come to terms with it, they still don't want a thing to do with thinking about dogmen any more than necessary. Other people, just because of their makeup, okay, yeah, right from the start, even after an extremely traumatic encounter, they can't get enough info about them. They're constantly listening to shows, and that right there in and of itself can be a huge problem, considering the almost fad now for people making up fake stories about dogman attacks and everything like that. But yeah, I mean, some people, even after a very traumatic encounter right away, they just dig deep into the topic and try to find out all they can about these guys. So yeah, it just depends on the person's makeup. That's what's going to determine what direction they go. I want to just stumble backward real quick, Vic, if we could draw sort of like use a, a music appreciation analogy. It, it, is there a different hook for Bigfoot than Dogman that drew you in? Uh, what what was the thing that drew you into each of these? If it's if it's the same or different? Well, I was drawn to the Bigfoot topic just because of the the interest in things that go bump in the night. Is Matt will tell you. I mean, back in two thousand seven, two thousand and eight. I was a co-host of Campfire Shadows with a now-deceased gentleman named Shane McMahon. But, yeah, back then, I would listen to Bigfoot podcasts at every opportunity because it was, to me, it was neat. It was kind of like a fad almost. It was, there was like an allure to the, well... I guess a good way to describe it is, you know, how people can't look away from the car crash. Well, that's basically mm -hmm. it. But with Dogman, that's not the case. I don't have any, any fascination for Dogman. People think, <laughs> for some reason, they think that in my spare time, I listen to Dogman podcasts and I'm a Dogman connoisseur, but no, far from it. Matt, he's got my go-to show. I have a problem with insomnia. No, not from helping people with their Dogman encounters. I just have a hard time sleeping a lot of the time. But yeah, my go-to show when I can't sleep is Bigfoot Crossroads and Bigfoot Outlaw Radio. I mean, if I had a nickel for every episode of, of that show that I've listened to or those two shows that I've listened to, <laughs> I'd be a rich man. So yeah, for the fun side of things, that's where Bigfoot comes in. But for the more serious side of things, yeah, that's where Dogman come in. Yeah, back when I was, I think it was 2007, that's when I spoke with my first Dogman eyewitness. And mm -hmm. after speaking with him, I thought, you know what? There's a really big niche here that needs to be filled. If you have an encounter with a Sasquatch that frightened you, that traumatized you, you can almost go to your corner grocery store and find someone to talk with and get help. Okay, well, that's great. But if you have an encounter with one of these guys, with a dog man, who are you going to go talk with? Yeah. There wasn't really anyone back then that you could seek out for help coming to terms with your encounters. Yeah, there are people back then who might want to take your money or, or do things like that. But there, I didn't know of anyone back then who you could go to 
that wasn't going to charge you a dime for helping you, was just going to do the best they could to help you come to terms with your dogman-related experience or experiences, as it sometimes is. But yeah, I just felt there was a need. And years later after that, I put the pieces into place to start the website, dogmanencounters.com. And then the report started coming in. I spoke with eyewitness after eyewitness. And then after that, after some period of time, that's when I actually started airing episodes of the show. And then I aired the first episode of Dogman Encounters on August 22nd of 2015. So it's been a wild ride. Yeah. um, I was going to say, basically, in yogic terms or in terms that everybody here understands these days, you've created a safe space. Whereas there there was existed, there were safe spaces, uh, so to speak, that existed that people could share Bigfoot's experience, but not Dogman. And you created that safe space, like we would say in yoga. So I think that's... uh, that's awesome. Uh, and we will, by the way, Vic, everything and anything uh, you send me on DM that will go in the show notes uh, tonight when I when I type those up. So, so anything that you'd like me to put out, I will have those links up uh, for anyone that uh, isn't familiar with Vic, any of you UFO heads out there. Uh, let's go over to Deb, please. Okay. So I had a question that I was told to reserve for this episode and it had to do with how much I love dogs and whether or not that would change my encounter. And it it sounds like it's funny, but actually the underlying question is, does intention impact these encounters with these cryptids? With dog. That is a great way to put it, Deb. Now you framed it differently. It was funny before last time you said it, but go ahead, Vic. I'm sorry. Oh, no, you're fine. No, intention doesn't seem to steer how these encounters play out. Normally, it doesn't seem to steer that at all. The dogmen are going to do what they're going to do. They have something in mind. You know, they travel the distance that they did to force this encounter to happen. They've got a goal in mind. And in almost every case, the goal is to terrify you to within an inch of your life. And then once they can see that's been accomplished, move on. Over the years, I've been doing this since I spoke with that first eyewitness in 2007. I've spoken with thousands upon thousands of dogman eyewitnesses. That It can be hard to see how that could be the case, but understand something. I mean, for a long time, to give you an idea of the volume I deal with, for a long time, I don't even bat an eye if I have three, four brand new encounters come in in one day. And then some days, of as many as seven or eight brand new dogman encounters coming in from dogman eyewitnesses I've never heard from before. Mm-hmm. Well, that's been that way for a long time. So over the years I've been doing this, yeah, the number of people I've spoken with about their encounters is huge. Well, a lot of these people don't want to be guests on the show, and it always gets me when people, they say, well, you know, I would reach out to you for help, Vic, but I don't want to be a guest on the show. Well, there's no requirement to be a guest on Dogman Encounters. There never has been a requirement. I'd help Dogman Eyewitnesses, and oh, by the way, I also happen to have a podcast. That's really what's going on. It's all about helping the eyewitnesses. If you want to do a show, then by all means. Let's do a show. But the most important thing is helping eyewitnesses come to terms with their encounters. Some people, well, in most cases, people benefit from coming on and doing a show where they air their their 
experiences and put themselves out there. And then when they see how they're received by the listeners, that helps them grow and it benefits them, which that's what this is all about. But for some people, it would be a huge mistake to come on and record a show. So I always tell people, you know, there's no pressure to ever come on and do a show. It's totally up to you. I've had people reach out to me and say, you know what, Vic, when I ask why they want to do a show, they'll say, well, you know, I'll help you out, Vic. I'll come on and I'll be a guest to do you a favor. I don't need you to do me a favor. (laughs) If you want to do a show, it's got to be for the right reasons, because of your own personal reasons, you think it's going to benefit you, help you come to terms with your encounter or encounters, or some people They'll tell you that they want to do it to help other people because they think, okay, I had my encounter just outside of Nashville. And maybe someone else in this area is going to listen who, until they heard the show, they're going to think it's just me who's ever had an experience with one of these guys. And then, bam, okay, well, my show ears, they get to say, well, listen to that. This guy, he lives here. And he had an encounter too. So yeah, I mean, the reason behind why they want to come on and do a show, that's also important to me. But I just try to do all this for the right reasons. Don't always succeed, but that's what I try to do. This is really ironic because the individual who asked you that question, Deb, has a UAP med uh, coalition that she's one of the principals of that basically has the very same mission that basically, you know, people can... Uh, contact them and talk about what's happened to them and even get uh, get professional help with it if, if necessary. So that is ironic, isn't it, Debs? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually thinking if you have a link for the Dogman support, <laughs> I need it's, that. <laughs> it's just a show. It's like you contacting yeah. him, right? Yeah. Well, no, it's the website, dogmanencounters.com. Okay. That's how you can reach out to me for help if you have a an encounter, a dogman encounter that you need help with. And something else I get asked about all the time is, do I help Sasquatch eyewitnesses? Well, no, I don't. I have two Bigfoot podcasts. I also have a paranormal podcast that's been out for over a year now called My Paranormal Experience. But I only help dogman eyewitnesses come to terms. If you look at all the people out there, good people out there who can help Sasquatch eyewitnesses come to terms with their encounters. I mean, I can't think of a better person to do that than Matt Knapp here. I mean, he's a great guy, obviously very well read, very well spoken. I mean, I don't need to jump into that side of this when you have so many good people like him who are available, easy to reach to help eyewitnesses with their Bigfoot encounters. Now, I just focus on helping dogman eyewitnesses come to terms with their experiences and yeah, that's that's my forte. So awesome of you. And Jules was uh, quick on the draw. She had your website up. And again, we'll have uh, all those links, including the one the one pod I didn't know about. We'll, we'll make sure that we have those in the show notes before I post this episode. Um, and let the aforementioned, the great one, the Wayne Gretzky of uh, Bigfoot, Matt Knapp. Jeez, you humble me with your words, sir. <laughs> Are you wearing a number 99 jersey right now? I hope uh, you are. I, I am not. I am not. Uh, Vic, man, I will cash out that to you after the show. Um, <laughs> to Venmo Vic. <laughs> you know, both of us have been involved in this in a long time, and I know that you've spoken with a lot of Bigfoot witnesses uh, that have what's uh, commonly referred to as habituation uh, 
encounters where they have ongoing activity and interactions with the Bigfoot. Do you run across that in the dogman sector as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all the time. What gets me, though, is I wish I could say it's uncommon to talk with an eyewitness who lives out in the middle of nowhere who's got these guys living around their cabin, their house, whatever, who gets their situation totally wrong. But unfortunately, it's a common thing where I'm contacted by somebody who talks about an encounter that they had 20 years ago. And that's how they realize that they have dogmen living around their cabin or dogmen are living around their home, way out in the sticks. And then they go on to tell me how they are still here 20 years later because of all the precautions they've taken to protect themselves from these dangerous dogmen. So when I hear that, I say, oh, you take precautions to protect yourself. What have you done to protect yourself from these guys? for the past 20 years and then they'll go on to tell you how they don't go out after dark they if they need to go deep into the woods or into the woods period they only do it on bright sunny days in the middle of the afternoon and then after they tell you all these things that they think they're doing to protect themselves that's when you let them know you help them understand look these guys they're out and about during daylight hours on the brightest days are out doing their thing in the woods sometimes out of the woods as well if they wanted to come and get you when you stay inside the house to protect yourself at night if they wanted to come into your house and get you there's not a door around that's going to stop them there's not a window around that's going to stop them they can come through pretty much any wall and get you if they want to do that but here's the good news you've been living there for 20 years and not once has a single hair in your head been harmed? Not once has a dogman broken a pane of glass in your home. And that's because of the best possible reason there is. They don't want to come in and get you. The dogman you encountered 20 years ago that was standing within grabbing distance of you, but never harmed you, it had you dead to rights. You were hundreds of yards from your cabin. You told me. Mm -hmm. He had you dead to rights and you walked away from that for one reason and one reason only. Like I said, he didn't want to hurt you. He wanted to get a rise out of you. So yeah, understand the difference, understand what makes these guys tick. And that right there is the key to dealing with your encounter in a healthy way. But no, that's just one example of tons of eyewitnesses who have contacted me who are in ongoing you can't say relationships, but they have ongoing experiences with Contact. these guys. Yeah. Are there people that claim to have uh, positive and peaceful relationships, like some people claim in the you know in the Bigfoot community, where they're interacting as friends, pretty much? Well, I have yet to talk with anyone who talks about having a quote unquote friendly relationship with a dog. Man, it's more a matter of tolerance. I mean, I know of people who have them around and. They seem to be acting as somewhat of a guardian, but I can't think of any instances where they've displayed any kind of behavior that could be considered as being friendly. They just tolerate you being around. They do things that seemingly will help the person, but I think more than likely it's helping them out of happenstance more so than the dog man is doing this or doing that to actually help them. So 
Yeah, unlike with Sasquatch, as you know, there are situations where these guys, they do seem to look out for people and they do seem to intentionally protect them. I can tell you, I do know of one instance, this lady, she was about to be raped by several men. It was at some kind of concert that was kind of like a Woodstock type setup where the stage was way over there and there were tons of people. The Portage Johns were all there. The lines to the Portage Johns were ridiculous. So she really had to go. So she just headed for this distant wood line. Well, she went into the wood line just far enough where people wouldn't be able to see her. And there were some guys back there that made their presence known. And next thing you know, they were trying to rape her. Well, all of a sudden, a dog man made its presence known. And, well, I'll just say he talked them out of it. <laughs> they beat feet like there's no tomorrow. Leah, yeah. I don't know. Like, if you're seeing, like, you know, a dog man, <laughs> dog man, like, contact near, like, this mountain area where you're staying, I'm thinking, like, you carry, like, a foot-long subway BMT. You encounter one. You sort of slowly take it out of the plastic sheath, unwrap it, and be like, here. You have the BMT. You can have my baked lays. I'm headed back this way. That's exactly my strategy. <laughs> uh, or, or I'll be taking big packs of like raw steak out with me when I'm in the woods. <laughs> yes, <laughs> pitching that raw meat at a girl. Yeah. <laughs> um so uh this has been super fascinating right like like i came of age on art bell and a lot of the bigfoot stories but don't know anything uh about these encounters um Vic, i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about um indigenous myth or traditional stories around these kinds of encounters if you have any familiarity with that some have been shared with me but mm -hmm. i'd be lying if i said that i could recall many details about any of them it's a canard that just persists and persists that that Native Americans don't have any legends about dogmen. A lot of mm -hmm. people who try to say that dogmen don't exist, and then when you ask them about why they say that, they say, well, the Native Americans, they don't have any legends about them. Well, yeah, that couldn't be further from the truth. A lot of Native Americans, a lot of tribes have legends about these guys. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there's so many things about dogmen that are misunderstood so many lies floating around about them that's just one of many out there um can i can i squeak in a second follow-up question yes, to that thank you dj um so uh going off that especially this notion that there's a lot of misconceptions and sort of bad information or poor understanding out there um could you give just like a basic overview um, of the subject, particularly what themes or events characterize these sorts of encounters. Can you rephrase that? I think you lost me. I want to make sure I understand sure. you. Yeah, yeah. Um, like what, what sort of themes or events characterize these encounters? Like, do you tend to hear like repeated reports of sounds or physical encounters or smells or even like particular locations where people tend to have these experiences? And, and can I just cut in while you're at it, uh, Scott Gearin in the chat is asking if you could tell what a dog man is. So if you could preface with that and then go into uh, the kind of uh, events and encounters and how they unfold, what Leo is asking. Well, a cryptid is a creature that is purported to be in existence that science doesn't officially acknowledge to be in existence. That's what a cryptid is. 
The most commonly talked about cryptid is obviously Sasquatch. You've got other cryptids like Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster, of course, and others, Mothman. But Dogman seems to be right up there, probably number two or number three now in popularity when it comes to cryptids. Dogmen are cryptids that can range in size from maybe a foot or two tall for a pup all the way up to 11 or 12 feet tall on their back legs at full maturity when you're talking about a male. But if you've ever seen a werewolf movie like Underworld or Van Helsing, imagine the werewolf from that movie, but instead of a situation where it's a human transforming via magic or or whatever else into the form of a beast to look that way, imagine... Imagine something that looks that way 24-7-365, and that's what a dogman is. Now, as far as their behavior, yes, they, in a lot of cases, do look like mindless, monstrous killing machines, but to describe their behavior, there are cases where they have attacked people, but in most cases, like I said earlier, the behavior pattern is normally if there's an interaction between a dogman and a human, the purpose is to terrify that person to within an inch of their life. And then once they can see that's been accomplished to move on. Uh, I mean, just the, the, the thought of what it looks like is, is so terrifying. Something that's sort of snarling and, you know, there's different faces. Some have the German shepherd face. Some have the Anubis face. And Vic, I've heard you talk about some have the sort of flatter face, more like, I guess, the pit bullish sort of face. So uh, that's pretty scary stuff, man. It really is. Um, so uh, Julie's asking in the chat, has there been an uptick or did you notice that there's been a great uptick in dogman encounters? If so, when? No, I haven't noticed any uptick. A lot of people think that there is an uptick in sightings because... You see all these podcasts out, airing encounters now. So that makes you think that there's a ramping up effect. But yeah, it's been my experience that it's pretty much no different now than it's been years ago. I mean, it's, I think what you're looking at is a situation where our ability to communicate is so much more efficient now than it's ever been. That's why it seems like there are more encounters now. I mean, think about it. Back in the 80s, if someone in China had an encounter or in New Zealand, it could take a while for that to get out and uh, get around and for people to hear about it. But now, with our communication being so efficient, it can happen this morning. And then this afternoon, it can be plastered over every newspaper or maybe not newspaper, but every news agency on TV, you name it. So, yeah, I think that's what you're looking at. Our ability to communicate over the whole globe now is so much more efficient. That's why it seems like that's the case. So there you go, Jules. They may have been terrifying people in the LBL generations ago, but people, you know, uh, you didn't know about it. Plus, you have the whole cultural aspect where a lot of people from, uh, as they say in Appalachia, uh, if you're not from there and they don't know you, or you're not, I guess that's a better way to say it. If, if you're not from there, they're not going to open up to you about what they've experienced. Um, you can go in there and try and interview them. And I think the hellier folks ran into that to a degree. Um, 
So, Vic, uh, one of the, the awesome things, uh, as you alluded to, people do call you and share things with you. Uh, there are some people, I believe, that probably only have shared things with you, uh, which is a compliment to you and your show and you as a, as a person. Uh, and one of those that was fascinating that, um, uh, that, that's been on your show is a young lady uh, who owns a home in Montana named Robin who has t- uh, been on four episodes of uh, Bigfoot Eyewitness Radio. And if anybody wants to know those, I can get you those numbers. But they're absolutely riveting what, what happened uh, with this woman. Um, can you delve into that a little bit and, and just tell the audience a little bit about what Robin has experienced and, and, and where they're at even today? Yeah, Robin, she's good people, a really nice lady. It's so unfortunate, though, the situation that she's in. She doesn't seem to be too terrified of the dogmen that are around her property. Well, let me qualify that. There's one that just is monstrous in its appearance. The other dogmen on her property, it's never going to give you the warm and fuzzies to look at a dogman and to think, okay, yeah, dogman might be right outside the house right now. But these other dogmen, they don't have that terrifying vibe that this one dogman has. But yeah, the situation that she's in, she has a, a cabin slash house. She calls it a cabin, but it's a really nice house that's got cabin-like qualities to it. But it's been in her family for years upon years. Well, because of that, that's why she's so reluctant to sell it and move out of the area. But almost ever since she's lived there, she's had issues with these guys. Now, in the early days, I guess there were more issues than they are now. Now she'll have experiences from time to time that frighten her, but for the most part, she'll see a dogman over here, see a dogman over there, so it's not an issue. They're not trying to frighten her or terrorize her. But the big problem that she faced not long after she moved in is her daughter is sensitive. And these dogmen, they seem to be trying to communicate with her daughter and lure her daughter outside. I thought and it was Bigfoot. Was it Bigfoot? Well, she has Sasquatch on the property as well, but no, she has dogmen also that have tried to lure her outside. Some wow. Sasquatch have tried to lure her out also, but the big problem is the dogmen that have tried to get her mm-hmm. to come out in the middle of the night. So, yeah, her daughter's obviously very intelligent, very precocious. So... Even at her young age, she knew not to go outside, but it's still a very unnerving situation when you know you've got this little kid living in your home, your daughter, and you're terrified that maybe one bad decision might wind up causing her to go out there at three in the morning with these things. So, yeah, that's basically the gist of, of what Robin has come on all those times and talked about. Uh, on the show, the four times that you mentioned, but yes, yeah, just the, an amazing situation that she's dealing with there. But the fr- the friendship that she spoke about with the Bigfoot seemed uncanny to me among, not unheard of, not unheard of, but because, shoot, I heard about, I don't know which one of y'all show, it was on the guy from Arkansas who planted that garden and found the Bigfoot there uh, picking vegetables in this garden, and he kind of 
put his hands to his heart and said, it's okay. They were, you know, they were freaked out when he caught them. And then he ended up planting a second garden just for them. And they'd use one garden and then he eats out of the other one. So, I mean, it's not unheard of, but from what she described on your show is a very friendly relationship with the Bigfoot where they would visit and come and slap the side of the house. And she's, you know, just if you could go into that a little bit, because I think that's unique. Well, she was introduced to their presence early on by loud slaps on the side of the house, like you mentioned, that weren't friendly hellos. They were destructive. They actually damaged her roof and they caused some other damage. But at first she was just terrified. She took steps to reinforce the house and try to make it so they couldn't break in because she had this idea that oh my god they're gonna get me they're gonna get me and even one time when she was gone they came into her house and did something in the kitchen i think it was but no after some period of time she found out she could tell that okay they might do this they might do that but it's clear that they don't want to harm us and they're just having fun with us so that's when they both she and her daughter reached out and they tried to make it so that the Sasquatch knew that she wasn't uh, an enemy. She, she was trying to get along with them and make peace with them. And after some period of time, they had a, they started to have a pretty good relationship. Yeah, that's uh, that's what it sounded like. They talked about the, uh, the messing with the, the lip gloss or something. I can't remember how many things that they would take stuff and put them back, you know, from her house. And uh, they scared the plumbers off when the plumbers were really disrespectful to her. <laughs> they did some infrasound business. So uh, I won't take up all, all the airtime. I've got a little more on that. But let me let me pass it to Money Nathan, please. Yeah, Vic, I, I wanted to ask you uh, with your depth of experience. Um, I'd love your insight because we're. We, we deal with a lot of claims and encounters as well. And I know you've, as you said, you've heard of thousands of them. What, what have you learned after hearing the, those things, the ones that you've done podcasts with, but also just collected and people telling you things, what have you learned in terms of how to suss out the difference between uh, a genuine experience versus someone that's kind of out seeking attention or fabricating their, their, their encounter? Well, a lot of common sense goes into it. If you put yourself in the situation where, okay, you've had an encounter with a dog man, with something that you didn't even know existed, you didn't even think could exist, and then all of a sudden you have this supposedly nightmarish experience with this dog man, you find out there's a guy named Vic Cundiff who specializes and helping dogmen eyewitnesses come to terms with these guys. He's spoken with thousands upon thousands of dogmen eyewitnesses about their experiences. And from that, he's gleaned a lot of information about them. Okay, well, you set a time for Vic to call you so you can have a good conversation. He makes it clear to you. I'm looking forward to talking with you so we can have a good conversation about your encounter or sometimes encounters. And so that you know... I'm pretty darn sure after that conversation, you're going to feel much better about your experience. This experience that you told me in your report that you submitted on the website, that it's just turned your world upside down. Okay, well, the time comes for you to talk with that eyewitness. You call, they don't answer. 
You send them text messages, no response. And then maybe a week later, they tell you that they forgot about the conversation. Oh, that's right. We had that conversation scheduled. Now you tell me if you had an experience, if you really would have had an experience like that, what are the odds that you're going to forget about this conversation where you might be able to get all these answers? Another way to frame it is this was years ago. I had a guy on my Facebook page that brought a lot of attention to, hey, everybody, my son just had a dogman encounter. Yeah, I forgot where it was, but he just brought a lot of attention to it. And he said, I'm going to see if my son will reach out to Vix and talk with Vic about his experience. And when I caught wind of that, I said, sure, yeah, I'd be more than happy to talk with your son and basically put the things in place where I could actually call his son. And when I called his son, his son acted like I was wasting his time and oh, couldn't get off the phone quick enough. And I'm thinking, well, your dad seems nice enough, but you're a liar. <laughs> you didn't have any dogman encounter. If you would have had a dogman encounter, you've got a guy on the phone who could answer quite a few questions for you about this thing that you saw. He lives out on this farm. You've got a guy who can answer quite a few questions for you about this thing that's not supposed to be there, that's so terrifying and, and whatnot. It could possibly harm your animals. And you don't even have any questions for me? You don't even want to talk about it? I mean, you act like I'm wasting your time. There's no point in this. You didn't have that experience. I mean, who in their right mind in that circumstance isn't going to try to get at least some information about this thing that walked right up to them on the farm? So, yeah, just common sense. Now, let me qualify that. There are people who just, they don't want to talk about it because they're too terrified. And that's totally understandable. But... How it's presented to you, like, yeah, you're wasting my time versus I, I just don't feel comfortable enough about this to talk about it. I have all these nightmares, and I think talking about it's going to make the nightmares worse. It's how it's framed. But when they frame it like you're wasting their time, then, yeah, it's pretty obvious that no one's going to respond that way. Yeah, for sure. Well, I wonder if you could speak a little bit too. This may be a little harder because you've heard a lot of encounters and you've, you've obviously identified a lot of commonalities in these experiences. Have you heard an experience that had some elements to it that weren't common, but felt genuine to you? And what were those elements? Oh, sure. Yeah. Tons of times. I use certain vetting questions to vet people who have encounters with certain qualities to it if someone saw a dog man from say 100 feet away or 200 feet away or further there's really not that much you can do to vet that person to know if they are blowing smoke or if they're telling the truth but if you have someone like michael lawrence from episode 34 where michael talked about this juvenile dog man that came into his tent one night when he was camped out with his boy scout troop in the anza borrego desert in california when he was a kid he talked about this juvenile dog man that unzipped his tent came into his tent sat on his legs licked his face while it's seemingly its mother it was a huge dog man well not huge as far as dog men go, but this one was I, think, was, I think, maybe eight feet tall or something like that. It was towering over his tent, looking down through the vent at him. But all the while, the juvenile dog man was doing this to him. But when you have someone contact you and tell you about such an unusual, such an extreme experience, 
when I read that report that he submitted, I thought, okay, yeah, I definitely need to vet this guy. So when I got him on the phone, we scheduled a conversation. Once I got him on the phone, I just broke the ice. We had a little bit of small talk. And then when we got down to brass tacks, I started lobbying vetting questions at him that only someone who was that close to a genuine bonafide dog man would know the answers to. And instantly he was throwing the right answers back. Hmm. I mean, if I asked DJ who the coach of the, uh, who the coach of the Cowboys is or, or who owns the Cowboys or whatever team. I mean, just a very common question that everyone knows the answer to, or most people would know the answer to. It's a situation like that. Michael Lawrence was just firing the answers back. Wow, that's impressive. Okay, well, if that's the case, how about this? Instantly, the answer came back. I thought, you know what? This is the real deal here. This guy really had that experience. And then after that episode aired, I had tons of messages coming in from people poo-pooing him and talking about how he was just full of it. That never happened. And I'm laughing at them because yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. He really did have that experience, but yeah, I mean, the encounters that come in are so varied. I can't really necessarily answer your question properly by laying out too many examples, but there are ways that you can use vetting questions like that to make sure that the person is, actually telling the truth about their encounter if it did happen at extremely close ranges like that. And there are certain other things you can do too, to try and weed out the people who are trying to lie their way onto the show, which yeah, that does happen all too often. Tons of people try to lie the way onto the show. Mm. Now that's really yeah, I, I, I was going to say, I think people wish they didn't know who the Cowboys coach was Mike McCarthy because <laughs> because uh, the fact that he's decided I'm going to take over play calling duties. I don't think that Cowboys fans are going to be really heartened by that. I think they wish there was a new coach that were that were on the way. Uh, anyway, I was going to uh, say the Cowboys don't have a coach. <laughs> no, Mike McCarthy was such a poor choice, and uh, but you know Jerry Jerry Jones hates to admit he's wrong. So, uh, by the way, let me just let me just Nathan, let me do this real quick. Let me shout out. Victor Wimbanyama, the seven foot five, nineteen uh, year old Frenchman who will be the first uh, pick in the NBA draft. The lottery was last night, and and uh, uh, congratulations to you, Victor. We can't wait to see you in the NBA. Uh, anyway, um, let's go with Leah Primetime because she has to get out of here and go to another show. So, sure. ma'am. Uh, and, and when Vic was talking about how it's a totally common knowledge, everybody knows who the Cowboys coach is. I was like getting that <laughs> creeping tight feeling in my chest and thinking, oh man, like, I have like a brain the size of a walnut rattling around in a wooden bowl. I have no idea who these people are. Not um, at all. Not at all. <laughs> but authors, Leah, you know them all. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> I'm a librarian. Um, yeah, so yeah, one of the questions, uh, this is sort of one of my favorite questions to always ask, Vic, especially for people that have a lifetime interest in these kinds of subjects. I'm always curious about how views and understandings of this subject have changed over time. Um, so if you could talk just a little bit about either opinions you've held that may have changed um, or ideas or theories that have evolved as you've gotten deeper into the subject, I'd love to hear them. Well, when I first started out doing this, I was convinced these guys had to be flesh and blood creatures, and that's all there was mm -hmm. to it. No extra abilities or anything like that, that a bear wouldn't have. But as time goes by, 
the waters tend to muddy a little bit. You can only talk with so many credible eyewitnesses who talk about seeing this dog man do this or do that, Mm -hmm. that a flesh and blood creature could not do. Mm -hmm. And after you hear that from so many credible eyewitnesses who they report all these things happening in their encounters on the report, the ones that really write out extensive reports about their experiences. And then when they talk with you, everything that they tell you matches what they put on paper when they Mm -hmm. reported their experience. Every time you talk with them, their story never changes the way they deliver it. It sounds totally genuine, bonafide, very credible eyewitnesses. You can only talk with so many people like that who report seeing things that a flesh and blood creature could not do Mm -hmm. and have that mindset. So now having said that, Am I saying that all dogmen are ethereal beings? No, I'm not saying that because right. why would an ethereal being drink nasty stagnant water out of a, a moss-covered pond? Why would an ethereal being, why would it eat fetid roadkill? But mm-hmm. on the other hand, maybe we're looking at a situation where some dogmen are from the ether and other dogmen are flesh and blood. I don't know what the mm-hmm. story is on that. I mean, we do have the technology now to gene splice and do things like that. Maybe some dogmen are are created in a test tube while others are from the ether. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is to that. But this whole thing is so much deeper than I thought it was at first glance when I got into this. And I spoke with that eyewitness in 2007, for example. And I meant to Mm -hmm. bring attention to the fact that I forgot who that eyewitness was. It's been so long since I spoke with him, but whoever he is, I do know that he knows Matt and Matt's spoken with him. I Mm -hmm. wish I could remember what his name was, but yeah, this eyewitness, he actually had spoken with Matt and I think he might know Matt. (laughs) And y'all are like original gangsters, man. You got the skull and bones ring for Bigfoot (laughs) and all that stuff, man. You and Matt. (laughs) Incredible. (laughs) I don't know about that. I will tell you that guys, that eyewitnesses encounter, it was a really frightening encounter. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I was prime time. I don't want to hold you up. Do you got to bounce at this yeah, point or are you good? No, okay. I have to I have to dip. Vic, this okay. was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I can't wait to listen to the back half of the episode. Oh, you know, you're welcome. Thanks yeah. for having me. Of course. Have a nice time. night. All. Cheers. See you later. Have fun tonight, buddy. Um, yeah, I was kind of, well, actually, I don't want to, I don't want to take time because a Debs and matter next. So I'll, I'll save mine. Uh, go for it, Debs. Yeah. So unfortunately I missed a little bit of Leah. So hopefully this doesn't touch on it too much, but I'm also interested in the history of this. Um, I saw that you had mentioned at some point that this has been going on for probably centuries. Um, and I have recently, um, learned a little bit about ogres and trolls and i found there's a lot of parallels between what's going on with dogman and sasquatch and what happened previously in literature regarding ogres and trolls including that habituation that territorial takeover um, or terrifying humans Um, so i just wanted to know what your thoughts were on that oh my goodness deb we already asked that what in the world <laughs> I'm just kidding. Wow. Yeah, in a lot of ways, I guess you could draw comparisons between dogmen and 
trolls, ogres, anything like that, if they actually do exist, in that they're purported to almost live for terrifying people at every opportunity. With these guys, I mean, they do have other things to do. They have to feed themselves, apparently, and do other things, but they do seem to take a lot of joy in terrifying people. But when you look at how many dogmen must be out there compared to how many encounters seem to happen, it would seem that there are a lot of dogmen that don't go out of their way to force encounters to happen. They just do their own thing and they don't bother people. So it's really hard to get a bead on these guys. I mean, it might be a small percentage of these guys who actually do seek out encounters with people. We just don't know. There's so many things about them that we just don't know and we're never going to know. But yeah, it is fair to draw comparisons between them and the way ogres and trolls are supposed to be if they actually ever did exist. Yeah, it's interesting that there's more mystery around dog. If there's not enough mystery already around Bigfoots, there's even more mystery about Dogman. Uh, I just want to say in the chat, I, uh, uh, Jules had asked if uh, there was activity prior to Robin moving in there. Uh, was there activity on the property with her family? And I'm, I remember that uh, you, uh, uh, you, she had talked about that, that she was angry that her mom knew that there was activity on the property before they moved in, uh, at least Bigfoot activity, if I remember that episode correctly. So anyway, um, let me get to Matt. Um, have you done any uh, looking into research, whatever you want to call it, uh, in the historical references to dog-headed humans, like cynocephali. Yeah, I, is do you think that's the same thing as what we're talking about in terms of dogmen? No, no, I don't. Well, there's certain looks that dogmen have. I mean, you've got what I call the canine type that have digitigrade style legs where they walk on their toes the way a dog or a cat or a horse would then you have another type that some people call type three dog men there is a lot of controversy around this whole type three thing some people insist that they're not canids which i totally agree because type threes have hominid style legs not legs like a dog so they can't be members of the canid family but a lot of people if you say the the Appalachian dogman, that's what they think of, a type three, not something with digitigrade style legs. So it's just tomato, tomato, what you call this, what they call that. That's really what it is when it boils down to it. But the cynocephali, to get to your question, they were reported to have heads of canids, but bodies like men. They had hominid style legs, and I'm not sure how human-like their bodies were supposed to be, but from the way I've heard them described, it sounds like it's a situation where you could almost take the head off of a wolf or the head off of a big dog and slap it onto a man's body, and that's what they were supposed to look like. But no, I haven't put too much work into that. I don't study dogmen. A lot of people think that I'm a dogman researcher. I'm not. I know a lot about dogmen because of doing this for so long and this information is rubbed off on me, but I don't actually sit down and study them. No, I focus on just helping the eyewitnesses come to terms with their encounters and the information I glean from doing that 
that's why I know what I know about Dogma now. I know you and I have spoken about uh, some of the things that have been privately shared with you uh, by different eyewitnesses, but have you seen any photos or video out in the public world on YouTube or anything that you believe are authentic? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen tons of them, too, that were authentic, but they were taken down almost right away. I've seen some where I think, oh, that picture is not going to be around long. And sure enough, it wasn't. Understand, I've been doing this for as long as I have been, Matt, because I know that there's a line. And I also know that it's not wise for me to try to cross that line. I don't even get too close to the line. There have been people ever since I started this who have come and gone because they didn't either understand that there is a line there that's not to be crossed, or they did understand that and unfortunately decided to cross it. And now they're not around. What's the line? What's the line? The line is the government does not want these things to be proven to be in existence officially. And if you start putting pictures and evidence out there, that's above a certain quality that's when they have trouble with it. You can post pictures until you're blue in the face that are below a certain quality and they don't care. They don't care at all. But if it's above a certain quality, then they do have problems with that. So yeah, if you make a habit out of putting evidence out there, that's a little too good. That's when you have trouble. That's when you have people who just disappear. Hey, where did so-and-so go? I don't know. I haven't heard about him. heard anything from him his show stopped and i don't know so yeah that's why i've been around so long because i know about the line and i refuse to cross it or even get too close to it but yeah i've seen evidence i've had evidence that's been shared with me that's just amazing i mean just blow your socks off amazing that was my next question. So you already, I, I was going to say, because I know Matt knows, but for the benefit of myself and Nathan and Debs, I assume people have shared with you uh, photos or video that had a um, high quality resolution that you could definitely see what it was. Oh, definitely. There are so many foolish comments that I see about these guys. And one of the most foolish ones I see all the time is skeptics saying, well, yeah, dogmen don't exist because if they did, there'd be very impressive evidence out there supporting their existence. Well, just because you haven't seen that evidence, does that mean that it's not out there? Yeah, far from it. You want to talk about a myopic point of view? Holy cow. Yeah, there is very impressive evidence out there. It's not available in most cases for the general public to to look at, but it's definitely out there. It's been shared with me. The most impressive evidence that's been shared with me was taken sometime, well, it's been about seven, eight years since this gentleman sent it to me, but the gist of it is either he or a friend of his found out that a dog man or dog men were hanging out in this particular area in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. And they decided to take a more expensive game cam. You know how the more expensive ones you don't only have the option to set them up to snap photos when they detect motion. You can also set them to film when they detect motion. Well, that's what these guys did. Either he or a friend did, I should say. They set the cam to film when it detected motion in either, I guess, maybe that afternoon or a day or two after they strapped it to a tree. It's been so long, I can't remember. But nonetheless, in broad daylight, 
it looked like it was a bright sunny day mid-afternoon you could see everything this dog man comes walking in the view from left to right and they hung some bait on a branch about five feet away from the camera lens well it was moving between the bait and the camera lens again broad daylight moving from left to right i could see everything I could see its front when it came into view. And then once it got directly between that camera lens and the bait on the branch, it turns us back to the camera and it goes for the, the bait there. But it was kind of like a, it was kind of like a timber wolfishy. Mm -hmm. Some hairs were, some hairs were maybe deep down grayish and then maybe blackish and then would kind of like transition into like a, uh, a cocoa-ish color towards the tips and all kind of like a multi-color look like that but i was so blown away by the the film i contacted the gentleman who sent it to me and i said hey there's a gentleman that i know who analyzes sasquatch footage and evidence and i'm wondering if you would mind i didn't think he was going to go for this but i asked him i said i wonder if you would mind if i shared this video with him so he could Give me a second opinion on this. Tell me what he thinks about it. And he said, yeah, by all means, send it to him. He had sent me a private link to this video that was on YouTube. You had to have that private link to be able to view it. So I sent that link, the private link to this gentleman. His name is Richard Eady. Yeah, Richard Eady was, I think he was on episode six, maybe, of Dog mm -hmm. Encounters. He was on one of the very, very early episodes where he talked about analyzing all this evidence. I sent that link to Richard, and I said, hey, Richard, I told him the whole story. I'd love to know what you think about this video. All the while thinking, I can't see how you're not going to be blown away by it. And sure enough, he was. Yeah, it just blew his socks off, too. So we talked about it and everything, and we noticed a couple of things that that guy hadn't even noticed about the the film footage but yeah i guess i took the long way around the barn to say that yeah there is amazing evidence out there about these guys just because the general public's not privy to it then yeah that doesn't mean that that these guys aren't really out there you know in fairness that dog man could have just come from the salon could have like you know been trying to choose between different hair colors and been like you know what just just make it multicolor. A lot of guys in the NBA are doing that these days. It's not totally out of character for Northern California, I would say. Spice it up. So, yeah. I'd say. Uh, Vic, so you've been so dog. I mean, are we going to get any Sasquatch out of you tonight, Vic? You've been very dogman centric. <laughs> well, by all means. <laughs> yeah, you named the Sasquatch topic. And yeah, well, let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I, we need to get into the round table, uh, here, here, um, quickly, you know, we'll, we'll throw our, our topics out there, but I was curious, uh, if, have you, have people sent you any, you know, interesting Sasquatch videos that are of that quality that you, you know, you're just not at liberty to share, but that you, you know, that you could uh, tell us about? Well, people have sent me impressive evidence about Sasquatch, but nothing like what people have sent me about Dogman. So, but then again, you know, there are so many people out there who have been burned by putting evidence out there that this photo that they took, that footage that they took, and then people ridicule the, the footage, the film, uh, they talk the about blob squatches and they say that it's fake. Well, yeah, why would a lot of these people who have Bigfoot evidence want to come forward with it? The impressive right. evidence. So yeah, it's not as common as on the dogman side, but 
I have gotten pretty impressive evidence. And by the way, so you see the fire below you, Vic. If you brought any s'mores, any graham crackers, Hershey's chocolate, feel free to just dangle over the fire. Just make sure you share with us. Okay. Um, <laughs> Thank I mean, you. <laughs> Nathan, I mean, he comes prepared for all these outings. You know what I mean? He always yeah. has the fire going. You never doesn't have to worry. It's the marshmallow, right? That's the... I don't have to go get kindling. I don't have to do any of that stuff, man. I don't have to get my lighter knot. So anyway, always a perfect night. <laughs> well, my mom always taught me that if you play with fire, then you're going to pee the bed. So no, thank you. <laughs> uh, um, all right. So let's get, do you want to uh, get into the round table now, Nathan? Let's, the, let's uh, do it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, okay. Vic, would you like to throw your topic out there first? Would you rather be last? How would you prefer to do this? You are the guest of honor, sir. How about I go last? Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll go. I'll go first. Um, So my question for the group is and uh, I'll start off with Vic and then go Nathan, Deb and Matt. Um, So my question is, do you think, um, Vic, that there are communication between these Bigfoot uh, tribes or families, however we want to call them? If so. Is there a consensus, do you think, on how to interact with humanity? Do you think they're communicating with one another? And do you think that uh, there's a consensus on how they would interact with humanity? And I say that because there appears, it, you know, there is so much synthesis in, uh, or commonality in how they interact with us. Well, in most cases, it would appear that these two, dogmen and Sasquatch, mix like water and oil. But there are cases where credible people have reported having these two together on their property. And it's an ongoing thing. It's not a once in the blue moon type situation. No, it's an ongoing thing where, yeah, they see dogmen next to Sasquatch. And that's how it's been for years. So it happens, but it seems like it's an exception more so than the norm. But, yeah, as far as them being able to communicate with each other, I don't know how effective they are at doing that other than just getting vague points across. I don't really know. Let, let me clarify. I meant between big Bigfoot tribes and families. I, exclusive, I, I, I wasn't including Dogman in that because that is interesting. There are different species. Certainly, they wouldn't be able to communicate. Well, a lot of credible eyewitnesses have reported mind speak. So, so many credible people have reported that. I think it's kind of hard to, to say that it couldn't be a reality, but yeah, when there's been communication between Sasquatch and people, I don't know of any other situations where it hasn't taken place via mind speak. I don't know of any situations where Sasquatch have used sign language or anything like that. It's always been via mind speak. So yeah, apparently it does happen. But in most cases, obviously, there is no mind speak. Once in well, a blue you, moon, it will. Well, l- let me rephrase the question. Do you think that Bigfoot groups are speaking with one another? Oh, yeah, I okay. do. I okay. do. And also, let me qualify that. There are a lot of people who seem to know a lot about these guys who claim that Sasquatch do speak various languages like Native American languages. Cherokee had a gentleman on an episode of My Bigfoot Sighting last week. Rick, who talked about how he thinks that Sasquatch 
can speak Cherokee in certain areas where Cherokee used to live, but in big numbers. But yeah, I think there's something to that. So maybe outside of mind speak, if you're talking about a situation like that, then maybe that is a case where they can communicate with people like that. And I, you interviewed Alex Midnight Walker, and I think he said he was he heard elements of Spanish, didn't he? I think he did. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. See, see, I've 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 listened to all those <laughs> all your episodes, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, Nathan. Do, do do you do you think that these groups are communicating with one another, and do you think that maybe they've uh, come to a consensus on? You know, hey, this is how you deal with humans. And granted, that you know, there are ones that are going off the reservation because they're having regular contact at the back of people's properties. But what's your thought on that? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I it almost seems as if they uh, are content to largely live in the world that they have, with uh, as limited involvement and engagement with human beings as possible, which is, you know, probably for their their own benefit. Um, I, you know, because it is, it is, it fascinates me that they seem to be have some degree of intelligence, right? They have some uh, higher order intelligence than, say, I don't know, a bear would. Uh, and so, with that, they have the capacity for culture and language and things of that nature. And it's interesting that if they have those components, that they're not uh, willingly, at least seemingly, not willingly trying to engage or partner with the other intelligent species, human beings. That, that kind of cross their paths. There seems to be a very much an arm's length stance to, to, to humans. Although we, you know, we like to think of ourselves as intelligent, quite frankly, maybe we aren't uh, relative to the way they've, they might view us. They might view us as a, I don't know, just more of a pest than, than anything else. <laughs> Noisy. <laughs> yeah. Just not really good at, you know, being at one with nature, et cetera. Uh, yeah. One of the things that Vic says on his show that I love is when they end up coming up to people's trailer, you know, they'll come and, and put their face up to the window or something like that, is that, hey, they're bored out in the woods all day. What are they, you know, they want some entertainment. I mean, that totally makes sense to me. Uh, uh, Deb, uh, Debs, so what do you think? Do you think that these groups are communicating? Do you think they've sort of, uh, you know, Sort of like the Iroquois had the great law of peace and this, this sort of thing. Do you think they've come to some consensus on how to deal with humans as well? So my thought is I think about what happened with the Neanderthals, right? And now granted, this is just theoretical because we weren't there. But a lot of people think they might have died out or had smaller subgroups because they didn't socialize in a vast, large way. And the reason we prospered is because we did like we started really socializing and coming together so i think that they may in a limited way communicate like when they run into each other but i don't think they're seeking each other out and i don't think they're necessarily um coming up with great plans together otherwise they would probably multiply and be a stronger force so bigfoot viagra could be the answer like dogman and the flea and tick preventative we gift that <laughs> along with the organic apples and maybe they're, you know, they start to multiply. The population grows. You ever know? Or they just chat. Even dolphins <laughs> are, you know, even dolphins are known for um, their social skills being um, selective. Like it helps them to survive. Right. So they, that's how they keep the pot alive. So if they're not 
really communicating that way at that level, then they're going to stay in small groups. I want to say that, uh, hello, Blue Sasquatch, welcome. Uh, I want to say that I'm out in the ocean swimming two, three days a week. Not a dolphin has come up to say hello to me. I want you guys to know that. Not one. I I mean, where the hell is Flipper? I'm, I'm friendly with animals, Nathan. What's going on? It's troubling. Uh, also, I didn't think uh, I would hear Bigfoot Viagra on the show. That's not on my bingo card, uh, but I'm here for it. So I was just like trying to think. Of, wait, if they're having pro- if they have a declining birth rate, as Doctor Michael Masters alludes to, that we're having, you know, Over I don't ticks. know. I you know, I just want to share this metric with you guys. I think I I may have shared this on the show. My high school at the end of '85 had approximately 800 students. Uh, the current students there told us there's 500 now. Mm. I, and the, the high school is significantly more diverse than it was when I was there, but I was just surprised by that. So maybe Dr. Masters is on something. I don't know that birth rate statistics. I need to go and, and search those out. But uh, um, we'll have to uh, connect you up with uh, Dr. Michael Masters, who believe that there is a possible future us, Vic, that is responsible for certain of the ET grays, that it is a future us coming back to visit. And he cites declining birth rates and the fact that they harvest biology from uh, abductees and so forth. So um, it's a fascinating hypothesis. Uh, Matt, uh, what do you think? Are they communicating? No, DJ. What? (sighs) Okay. So this is like a multi faceted answer. Uh, Okay. Are they? Uh, let's theorize for a second that uh, at least some of the limb formations attributed to Sasquatch are indeed being made by Sasquatch. I'm just going to use uh, an X formation as an example. Sure. You find those everywhere. Okay. You find them in Oklahoma. You find them in Texas. You find them in California. Mm-hmm. There is no geographic specific uh factor whenever it comes to these limb formations so that would indicate that they have at least one one form of a universal language at that point uh even if it's just symbology okay Uh, that had to come from somewhere Uh, then if they can uh if they have their own language language has to be taught they had to have learned it from somewhere it had to have been passed through the entire society of them uh, if they have figured out, uh, you know, Vic was talking about them uh, speaking Cherokee and Spanish and all these different languages. It's something that I have heard myself uh, from different, you know, people in the community. If that is the case, the question I have always had is, well, who taught them Cherokee? Who sat down with them and taught them the entire language? And then they took that language and went back and spread it and memorized it and everything else. If it is true that they have that ability, then that would uh, persuade me more in the direction that they have psychic abilities and that it was learned uh, psychically, which would also reinforce mind speak abilities. And if they can speak telepathically, then they don't have to go anywhere to speak to one another. They could uh, theoretically, uh, one in Oklahoma could mind speak with one in Washington. We don't know. Um, the the, the however, oral history. I was going to say the oral history suggests, though, that they had these meetings with the the various uh, Native American tribes. 
in some aspects, not all tribes. That that's only certain tribe some. specific. Um, but another thing to keep in mind is bears don't tell each other to stay away from humans. Uh, wolves don't yeah. tell each other to stay away from humans. It's just natural instinct. So I think you'd have situations for sure where a mother and father parental unit, the, the elders of the group would teach the young to stay away from us. And that would just be a continuing thing that would be passed on and on and on, regardless of where they were. And that doesn't necessarily require any interspecies communication with one another. That that's a great point. That's your knowledge of of uh, of animals is came came into play there. That's a great great way to look at it. Th thanks a lot, uh, Vic. Uh, actually, you answered this first. So the next will be Nathan with his topic. Yeah. So just a a quick answer. I'd love to get everybody's take. Uh, what is your hope for a world that recognizes the existence of of this? Uh, reality in addition to some of the other things that of course our show is interested in what do you think that, that that's a better world in general or that it's better that these cryptids uh, continue on with you know the ignorance of, of the larger human population so i'm yes. gonna go to deb with that first yeah I'm i'm trying to remember the name of the show where they actually showed um not necessarily just cryptids but they showed an alien species that landed and just kind of lived side by side with us and you know of course it took some time for everyone to adapt but eventually people did and then there were benefits to that interaction um, I can't help but think that if we were able to have that engagement we would learn the benefits also you know and if we could overcome fears um, and develop increased acceptance not only would we you know probably develop acceptance for other humans <laughs> we would just have a better acceptance of what our planet and reality actually are um, so that's kind of part of my hope but you know just that contact is the underlying hope you know just get it over with so that people can move on and adjust and and, and also you want deb's data daycare right that's the yeah. <laughs> Yes. And of course, I will establish a daycare. I will have to, you know, have someone provide a ranch. I think there's a ranch called like Skinwalker that might work. It's not um, safe. <laughs> I know, you know, Brandon Pugel's cool. He might help. He might. <laughs> yeah. Or Vic may know a ranch that we can go to that's considerably safer. I don't know. We'll have to. <laughs> uh, all right. We'll put it to Vic then. So, Vic, what uh, what's your take then? The world uh, a better place with the uh, acknowledgement of this reality or better to leave it as is? Well, it's a double edged sword. If these guys were officially acknowledged by the government to be in existence, a lot of people don't agree with this, but I've got no doubts that our economy, our way of life would just falter. Think about how many things that we rely upon on a day-to-day -day basis that are harvested from the forest. And if all of a sudden it was let out of the bag, guess what? You just might run into a something that looks like a giant werewolf if you go into the woods ever again because they're definitely out there. If that was let out of the bag, who's going to want to run a noisy chainsaw 10, 12 hours out of the day where you can't see anything behind you, you can't hear anything behind you? That's going to 
cause a huge exodus of not just workers, but who's going to want to live near a forest. So yeah, not only are we going to have all these issues, getting all these things we rely on daily, we're going to have all these other issues as well. So yeah, that would cause our economy to falter almost overnight. So yeah, that's why I've got no doubts the government will do anything it can to prevent their existence from being let out of the bag. And on top of that, yeah, you've got spotted owl type issues, environmental issues on top of that. But the most important thing that that we should be concerned with as far as fallout from that would be how it would affect our day-to-day life. Not having a reliable source of lumber, for example, to build homes, buildings, medicines. A lot of medicines are harvested in the forest. So yeah, that's why I think the government would be crazy to ever allow this out of the bag. But on the other hand, yeah, if it was acknowledged that these guys are extant, then, yeah, all these eyewitnesses who have all these encounters that are laughed at and ridiculed by family and friends, that would just go out the window and stop happening. Well, of course, I'm a fan of that. I hate the idea that they're persecuted the way they are, not just by maybe people they work with, but yeah, unfortunately, their own family members, their significant others. If I had a nickel for every time, Someone contacted me and told me about their significant other making fun of them every time they go to a family get-together. They're the, the punchline of the get-together because they actually let it no, be known that they had this dogman encounter or a Bigfoot encounter. So, yeah, I would love for it to be let out of the bag, but I totally understand why it's never going to be let out of the bag, at least in my opinion. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Nathan, also the chanterelle mushroom industry. You think about you making an Asian stir fry at home. What would happen, you know, to your some sort of a Chinese stir fry where you need chanterelle mushrooms? So yeah, very challenging. Consider that. Yeah, yep. um, it's enough to make me not want it to come out. So <laughs> yeah, who do we have left to get to? Do we have Matt or uh, we want to hear from Matt and from you? I think so. I'm okay. going to put you up next. What do you think, DJ? So I think there's probably a different answer for each each entity. You know, with UFOs, I mean, we're very, very close to it being out of the bag. And that, you know, then maybe the non-human intelligence or, as Dr. Master would say, future humans that have that are coming back and interacting with this and seeing, checking on our custodial, uh, uh, of our, our custody of the planet, you know. Uh, and, and so, you know, even what, what Deb's answer kind of is something I want for a future roundtable uh, to delve into that area of it. But um, I think for Bigfoot, I, I don't think it would be good uh, because of what, what we discussed on prior shows. I think they would could become a hunting trophy target. Um, there could it could turn into a political football where uh, it's something that the left and the right might want to fight about because then people might want to hunt them. And if uh, there were hunting laws that were enacted or they were protected, people might say, hey, this is a, a load of crap. It's a danger and and uh, go out anyway so uh, you know with with groups uh, more groups that are heavily armed looking to take out some of these creatures so i think it 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 probably would not turn out well for bigfoot and then what vic alluded to i'll just say that i i agree you know relative to dogman uh i i agree entirely with what he said on that i, I couldn't say it better uh but and the ufo phenomenon i think is is different. I think we've talked about that. I think um, that it it could be really good for a group of us 
to know that these exist and have all the news stations saying that, yes, this is a thing. And I also think there's a much larger group of us that would not handle it as well as the folks that we have chosen as our, our family that we sort of have come to know, our, our, our uh, family of the unexplained or the phenomenon that we interact with that is ready to hear this and ready to know the truth and ready to just deal with it. Um, I don't know that everybody is going to necessarily handle it quite that well. Matt. Yeah, geez. This is a question I think about a lot. Uh, not just because I'm a podcaster in that subject matter, but just as a witness, as a person who's talked to multiple witnesses, you know, like what's already been said, it's that great moment that we would finally have where I told you so, you know, shut up. I was, you know, I'm not crazy. Uh, that, that justification, that would be great. Um, I think a lot of it would depend on how it was presented, how it was acknowledged to exist, uh, depending on what it was, because in my mind, it's a lot safer for the government to say, yeah, there's something up in the skies, but you know, we're trying to figure it out than to say, there's a monster that can kill you that lives in your backyard that we can't do anything about. Uh, it, whenever you go camping and you hear something walking around your tent at night, it's probably one of these things. I, I mean, how do you, how do you even approach that? Uh, <laughs> and the problems it would cause. And, and like Vic was saying, you know, the, the impact it would have on, you know, various, uh, industries, but it also gives humans the excuse to charge more for those items. You know, we, we've got to, we've got to up the price because now that, that chainsaw operator that Vic was talking about wants twice the salary he's putting his life at risk because these things are out there so now we have to double the price of the goods that that company ultimately produces uh so those impacts would be very negative uh from a philosophical standpoint however i kind of think we need some mysteries i think we need that humbling as human beings to let us know that you know there's still some unanswered questions out there and we don't know everything and we don't have that understanding that we think we do over the universe and that there's much more out there than just us. We're not the all-knowing, all-powerful beings in creation. And we might possibly share our own home and spaces with some things that are much greater than we are. That eye on top of the pyramid on the back of the dollar bill, that was brilliant. Matt, uh, to Cash App Matt, please send it to Ashley. <laughs> yeah, that answer. was so well said. Uh, thank you. Um, Deb, let's get your topic. Honestly, I had another one, but I'm so intrigued by this one that I have to go back to it. So I keep thinking about the psychology of humans. Okay, so there's there's new species that are found every day that people ignore. There are scientific facts that are astounding that happen all the time that people ignore. I feel like if something was presented in a scientific magazine about a cryptid being real, people would suddenly be like, eh, okay, and they'd move on in two weeks. I really do. Um, I don't think it's going to be the game-changing thing that other people are talking about, and I'll tell you why. I think people are arrogant. There are, there's already bears, there's already um, mountain lions, there's already, you know, other things that can kill you out in the woods and people figure out a way. So I guess my question now is going to be, 
what do you think would be the best way to subtly bring this to the people so that they just go about their business in two weeks like they do now when all those other things are presented? S say that again, Deb, just succinctly so we can... Yeah, so how, what do you think that uh -huh. people should do so that it can be accepted the way those other things are and then just ignore two weeks later like everything else? Okay, so Vic, uh, what, what could make disclosure of... And, and you know... And so are you asking about one or the other, Deb? Do you mean Bigfoot, Dogman, uh, all of the cryptids above. and all the and UFOs? Okay, so there you go, Vic. Well, I'm not too sure that the government isn't actually doing that when it comes to UFOs. Allowing certain classified documents to be released and, and certain forms that used to be redacted until the point maybe there was one letter that was still available to read but now you've got all this information that's being released i'm not so sure that the government isn't grooming us right now for that not with regards to the cryptids but with regards to aliens ufos and all that as far as the best way for them to do that when it comes to the cryptids would go i think if they follow the same practice by just leaking out bit by bit information acknowledging that okay this did happen uh, ranger was called to this particular campsite where a camper reported seeing of course you sasquatch to break the ice reported seeing uh, an eight foot tall sasquatch yeah never dogging him. that would just be a horrible way to do it but yeah ranger did respond to a call where campers reported seeing an eight foot tall Sasquatch in their camp and basically support the fact that, okay, yeah, what this ranger reported, we support basically to let that out of the bag. Finally, that, okay, this did happen. The ranger investigated and he or she did find evidence supporting the fact that there was an eight foot tall hair covered creature. The ranger saw this creature and maybe even have some film footage of it or something like that. Maybe not the best film footage, but footage <laughs> that, that they don't shoot down as being ridiculous and just kind of break the ice like that. Start small and, and just kind of like they're doing with UFO phenomenon, just release information bit by bit and build up to a total acceptance of the fact that yes, they're out there. That in my opinion would be the best way for them to do that. Now there still are going to be people even by doing it that way, who are going to never believe in their existence. But in my opinion, I think that's the best way to do it. I agree. Am I next Nathan? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I agree with Vic that that that's a, you know, a plausible way to do it. I think the concern is that if it, if it, gets to the cable news stations and then it becomes a political football where one associated political party and their cable news station take this position and then the other uh, party takes the other position that could make it problematic but be you know i think that's the sensible way to do it like what what uh, you're saying is to desensitize to slow leak slow drip that information out there that would be the way to do it uh with with these other phenomena the cryptids uh, but, um, I, I, I just have that little concern. I'll just, uh, that, uh, that cable news could, could turn it for their own purpose. Yeah. I'll go for it, Marty. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like we are, um, 
it's like we're toddlers. We're we're outgrowing our 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 play zone, right? So we're getting to a point where our reach uh, is is coming up against the reality more often than it's not, and I think that's probably what is prompting these revelations. And we've heard that before, right, DJ? At least in the UFO circles, that uh, our sensor technology and and the fact that we're, you know, just sort of bathing the entire planet and electromagnetic information all the time. Like we're going to, we can't contain the reality of the UFO all that much longer. Um, and I think that the same thing with, with the cryptids, it's just sort of this slow realization that we're not the top of the food chain. We're not the top of the pyramid. We are, uh, you know, really like, children again in this cosmic family and uh we have to kind of come to this realization that 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 is the truth and that we have to mature in order to i think engage and interact with with all of the different things that that are out there um you know are we at that place where we actually have the ability to to mature in the way that i think would be it would be healthy probably not I, i concur with a lot of the things that have been said on the episode that there would be some pretty dramatic shifts in, in social behavior. And as we react to this news, um, it wouldn't be, be very smooth. Um, particularly if we don't have a, uh, like a, a clear, transparent, cordial relationship with some of these entities. I mean, it might be a little bit different if we could kind of parade them on a, on a reality TV show, you know, <laughs> which would be just hilarious to yeah. think about um, just the concept. But you know, to kind of get to know them, but I, I don't see that happening. So I think it's um, it's going to be a challenge. People will have to grapple with this because it really is like a house of cards, almost like a domino effect. You know, once once a certain thing is 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 admitted as true, then it opens up the door for so many other phenomena that people have ridiculed for so long, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything is on the table, and I, I don't know that the world's ready for that. Um, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it, it's 2017, so let's see, it's three years, so it's six years ago that that, you know, that newspaper article in the New York Times happened, and we're a significant way down the road from where we were, where it was socially unacceptable in, in polite company to, to talk about this, this topic. Matt, did you, did you get a shot at this one? Forgive me if we're out of order, as Al Pacino once said. This whole thing's out of order. Yeah. <laughs> I should take a flamethrower to this place. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, so uh, so Deb made references to things like bears already existing. Uh, Dangerous things in the woods. Yeah, correct. Um, the problem is... Uh, if you listen to witnesses and take their word for it, uh, this isn't another animal. This isn't, hey, look, we there there is another primate or there is another canine. Uh, so if, let's just say, for instance, Bigfoot can mind speak, they would have to figure out a way to introduce telepathy as being a real thing before they could introduce the Bigfoot. They would have to take baby steps leading up to these abilities that these things have 
before they can just introduce, here's something that does it. Uh, they would definitely have to control the narrative. Uh, I think that would be the, the main thing. And the only way I can foresee them being able to introduce it where people would just take it as that and just shrug it off would be uh, to make it an animal, to control the narrative to the aspect of uh, what a lot of the mainstream Bigfoot researchers uh, believe that this is just some undiscovered primate, for instance, and just spin it like that. Um, and, and they would have to stay on top of that, you know? And then you would still have the same problem where witnesses would come forward and say, well, no, 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 you know, I saw one step through a portal or, you know, one spoke to me in my mind and those people would still be ridiculed and laughed at. So we sure. really wouldn't progress anywhere. And I really honestly feel that uh, the government already knows uh, these things are out there. And if they were just an animal, then they wouldn't be hiding the fact that they're out there. They wouldn't care about suppressing the information if it was just, in fact, some undiscovered primate or some undiscovered canine that happens to walk bipedally. I, I think it would have been allowed to come out years and years ago, but for some reason it hasn't. You know, the, the interesting thing, and, you know, I'm taking a comic shot at here. I was thinking of, you know, Chewbacca walking through the, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, what's that, uh, Imperial Cruiser, and in hand, and if that were Sasquatch, you know, in, in some sort of handcuffs like the Wookiee, you know, there's no question that people are going to look at this thing and it's going to present a problem because they're going to realize that there is a certain a significant amount of humanity in this that they don't see when they look at a gorilla. You know, when you see gorillas in the, you know, in their native environment, you know, uh, in, you know, jungles of Africa, et cetera, you know, you, you know that you're looking at something that even though they have 95 percent of our DNA there, you, you could just tell it's something different. Whereas Bigfoot, you know, people might look at that and have a visceral reaction uh, that this thing's part human. And then, of course, there's going to become the licensing fees are going to want to cut of all these t-shirts and mugs and then Vic, right? The dog men are going to be upset because, you know, they're underrepresented. There's not enough t-shirts and different and mugs and material on Etsy that, that represents dog men as there's Bigfoot. So, you know, it's going to get competitive. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt, I think it's your topic, right, buddy? I mean, sure. So, uh, yeah, we'll go with this one because I, I, I'm interested in hearing Vic's answer on this one. So I want to go to Vic first. Um, yep. Oh, boy. Yeah. So this beautiful <laughs> this beautiful platform we have here, the Internet, and uh, the modern ability for anybody to go on Amazon and self-publish a book. You don't have to go through any of the rigmarole to get stuff out there. Uh, anybody can create a podcast, and they can create a following. They can create an audience. Uh how do you think that helps or hurts the study and further earning education of these subjects whenever somebody uh, can grow a large audience and popular opinion theories aren't always the correct ones and the followers will support whatever their favorite podcaster or favorite author says and just take that as the gospel? Uh, do you think, is, is this helping? Is it hurting it? How, how do we go forward from here? Well, that too is a double-edged sword. I do believe in free speech, but 
Yeah, unfortunately, there's so much bad information floating around when it comes to dogmen and Sasquatch that it really ultimately hurts what we're all trying to do here. If the main goal, which I believe it is, is to raise awareness of these cryptids and to educate people on these cryptids, if you have so many shows out there who are putting out creepypasta without acknowledging the fact that it's creepypasta, or if they're putting out information that isn't creepypasta, but they know that it's not accurate, it's not true information, it's just information that maybe furthers their agenda, yeah, we're ultimately hurting ourselves. And then you have so many people who listen to these shows and they they take what they hear as gospel from this person or that person. Yeah, it just causes a lot of problems. I mean, talking about the dogman front. Time after time, I talk with eyewitnesses who have had traumatic experiences with dogmen and then they listen to this show or that show about the the mind-eating dogman who will split your skull open and devour your brains. And they take that as being a, a gospel story, a factual story. And then next thing you know, I'm talking with them and trying to talk them off the ledge, having to explain, no, that's not how it is. That was just a story that was made up to get views and put butts in seats and line whoever's pocket that hosts that show, basically. So, yeah, like I said, I do believe in freedom of speech, but unfortunately, when it comes to the cryptid side of things here, talking about dogmen or Sasquatch, especially dogmen, in my opinion, it ultimately really hurts what we're trying to do. And uh, Matt, so if I understand correctly, you're saying where do we go from here in terms of information that's getting out there that's just not worthy, et cetera, et cetera? Is that it? Well, I mean, just how we deal with the conundrum in general, uh, you know, uh, anybody can have a voice, which is yeah. great. That's fantastic. Unfortunately, there are people out there who just want a following and they yeah. do just want to make money and they put out information, yeah. uh, whatever gets the most views, the most attention, yeah. and they grow these huge audiences yeah. and those audiences believe everything they say and support them to the grave. So then you have a huge uh, wealth of misinformation that's out there that's considered true whenever it's actually not. I, I, have, I have got you on this. Now, this theme has played out. I mean, you could go back to uh, when The Atlantic was published in the 1850s and someone, uh, a, a, uh, you know, someone might have said, oh, it's a Federalist rag. You know what I mean? And, and there were counter newspapers perhaps in the South counter countering maybe what was written in the Atlantic or something like that. So that's gone all the way back to then. Then you can get into uh, the eighties, but really the nineties in, in talk radio when, you know, uh, sports radio came in in the late eighties and then turned into talk radio. So similar things are happening in, in those mediums where people are putting out false information and are just trying to cultivate audiences and make a living off of it and not really trying to be even-handed or see both sides or, or, or this sort of thing. So I don't think this is any different, and I, I don't think we have a, a solution to it uh, if you even step near anything that would approach um, trying to curb that. It would look like the way that half of Lex Friedman's podcast these days and Joe Rogan's podcast are talking about free speech and, 
everybody should be able to say anything and do anything on Twitter. So I think it, you know, I hate to use that well overused American phrase, it is what it is, but I think that's just where we are and people are going to have to discern for themselves. And luckily, uh, this topic is less dangerous, if you will, than other topics that become politicized, that uh, there could be lives at stake. Uh, this is something that we enjoy, that is interesting, that is true, and we want the world to know about it, but they're not paying a heavy cost to not know the truth of it at this point. Okay, so let me see. Is that who hasn't gone yet? Money? Money Nathan, right? Yeah, I can uh, just uh, on this yes, um, from Matt's question. Um, you know, I think we were entering into the end of consensus reality. Um, I think that we are reaching the point of information oversaturation and everyone is going to live in a in a bubble of information that they find interesting, fascinating, you know, palatable, you know, <laughs> self-soothing, all of the above. <laughs> Right. I mean, that, that's that's the world that we're transitioning into, I think, at the moment. And um, it's going to be pretty weird. I, I, I want to come back to something that I think Vic touched on at the beginning of the show. And it came out pretty clearly in, in, in his explanation about you know, how long he's been doing this and why he's doing what he's doing. And that is, uh, you know, one of the things that we, I think, on this show get from hosting a show like this and creating a space for these conversations is it provides a uh, kind of a, a validating function for the human experience um, and it's community building. And that's the one thing that human beings, I believe, are really hungry for now in, in this world of d disconnected connect connection. Uh, we, we want community and to, to have a place like this and other shows where you can have a, a an open conversation and treat people with respect and and, you know, eagerly listen to their experience and validate their experience, even if you may not agree with every facet of it. I think that that's meaningful and, and that we are going to need that meaning in our lives. We will always need that kind of meaning in our lives. And so these shows and platforms, I think, if if you know, if hosted with the right intent, uh, really do provide a valuable service. Um, it, it will be very difficult, though, to parse. I think that the truth from fi from fiction, unfortunately. Debs. Um, so there's this thing in psychology where if you try to tell someone they're wrong, they will actually double down on their opinion rather than change their mind um in fact the the best strategy generally is just to give people information and educate them with facts and i understand that gets muddied a bit but the best you can do is continue to do what you're doing because you can't stop those um leaks of misinformation at this point it's it's impossible um i do think that like it's almost like whack-a-mole so if someone's sitting there whacking all the people who are, in their opinion, giving misinformation, um, what happens on social media is that people get upset about the person doing the whacking, actually. They don't actually pay attention to them all. 
<laughs> so so that's that's something I've noticed. I get a, a little offended by those people doing the whacking too because they go at it too hard. So I just recommend just putting out the best information you can. And that's the best you can do and hope that reasonable people will make good decisions. That is right on the money, Debs. Right on the money. Um, and last but certainly not least, our guest of honor. We got to get through this quickly because I, I didn't expect we were going to keep him here for two hours. Let's see if we can get through this in 12 minutes. Vic, what was your topic, my friend? My topic is I think we're all in agreement that Sasquatch, Dogmen, all the major cryptids are extant. But how do you explain the lack of breadcrumbs? Pretty much the total lack of breadcrumbs supporting their existence. I'll go first and then I'll, I'll pass it to Nathan and pass it around the horn. But I, uh, you know, I think that it's what you we, we spoke about earlier, sort of. And my question is, is there communication going on? I think they've figured out uh, us and our if they've been on this continent for long enough and the other continents that they exist on, because it's not only this one. Uh, they've figured out what our tendencies are, what our methodologies are, the fact that we have to synthetically manufacture things to survive in the woods. We need to cook. We need to do all these different things for to make ourselves comfortable that they perhaps don't have to do. And they've figured out how to avoid us. Matt and I recently had a conversation about what they do with uh, with their bones. How are they getting rid of them beyond just nature taking them and you know, different uh, 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 smaller predators coming and eating the meat. And then you've seen the insects and all these sorts of things. Uh, are they, do they have a, bury, a burying ritual? Uh, and we talked about how they might do that, maybe hiding them under tr uh, tree structures or fallen trees or something where we'd be less likely to look. So it, it, it is a mystery. It's what's awesome about it is that we, uh, we don't know. Uh, and I just, it seems to me that they, have mastered their environment the way that perhaps a a computer programmer has has mastered certain computer languages and can create what we're using for example this medium right now that we would have thought was space age in the 70s when we were growing up so i think uh, bigfoot and perhaps uh, dogman as well have have done that but yeah and i think uh we see the world that we are sort of trained to see we which means we operate with blinders on most of the time and uh there's a lot of things that happen in reality that we are completely oblivious to um whether it be uh you know a range of light that we cannot perceive or sound that we cannot hear uh it's just small examples of, of that so i think that uh we are in a way like incapable of seeing some of the evidence for these uh, creatures and other phenomena um, until maybe, maybe one day we will be uh, maybe, you know, part of the maturation process of a species as it becomes more intelligent is that it goes through this kind of uh, transmogrification, you know, it goes through this transitional phase of uh, being more and more aware of the greater world around it. Um, and it, and, and that, that's a, an integral part of its maturation, right? That it has to kind of learn uh, to get along in its confined space 
well before it's given in a way a kind of permission to play with the big kids at, at the other spaces. So it would be so, so fascinating if we could get to see what it's like within those family units and how they're interacting with one another uh, as they sit around and, and go through whatever their rituals are. It, it just would be the most fascinating thing and see how much they have in common with us and, and perhaps how different they are. Mm. Um, Debs. So I was thinking also about um, the nature of reality a lot lately. And Donald Hoffman said he did some studies and some research and found that the species that can't see reality as it is, is actually the fittest, the one that will adapt and survive the longest, which is really interesting. Um, so it's actually, it behooves us not to see everything apparently um, in some way, or it might be too overwhelming for, for some people and who knows what would happen. But when you said breadcrumbs, I actually was thinking of, you mean like books written by government people, like the skinwalkers at the ranch that talks about dog man. That's what came to my mind when you said breadcrumbs. So I do think they're actually coming out those breadcrumbs from the government slowly and even the fact that we have so many documentaries on these things that are out um so much going on in social media all of that is part of the breadcrumbs i was thinking chicken parm when he said breadcrumbs so that's what's interesting about that um matt hold on just writing something down okay never place gravel with me I think transmogrification is more than Yeah, that, that one did so, it, man. That, that's yeah, got to be a triple word score. Uh, so I think it's a, a combination of things, maybe a perfect storm, so to speak. Uh, I, I think, first off, these uh, things are self aware, which most animals are not uh, self aware that live out in that part of the woods, <laughs> uh, those type of areas, you know, deer and things like that. I mean, perhaps they're self-aware, but they don't seem to be. Um, so I, in other words, how much do I give away? So we at different points in time have found evidence to believe that they're aware that they leave tracks, for instance, and that they will go out of their way to not leave tracks or to hide their tracks from us meaning that they know that we can see their tracks and look at their tracks and can use those tracks against them um, but also as someone who grew up in a family of outdoorsmen hunting and fishing and spending countless hours in the woods running around looking for animal tracks specifically i never saw a bigfoot track until i started to look for bigfoot tracks and i think that's more likely the case that the breadcrumbs are there people just don't bother to look or whenever they do happen to run across them they just assume it's a bear it's something else a human must have walked barefoot through here whatever the case may be and they just refuse to even go the direction of bigfoot or dogman or anything else that they believe doesn't even exist so why entertain the thought that that could be a breadcrumb of that individual creature it's an enormous amount of concentration any time you're walking through the woods and you're talking to your friend you're literally not going to pick up on anything any signs that they leave 
I've seen a couple of tracks in Ocala and, you know, you have to really just not be, you know, just in your own world looking and just doing that sort of 180 degree scan left to right up and down. So, yeah, I feel you, Matt. And uh, it, great answers by everybody. Great question by Vic, but it, we knew it was going to be a great question. Um, Vic, thank you uh, so much. Uh, we'll do our cabbie goodbyes now, uh, beginning with uh, Matt, please. Vic, thank you for tolerating me once again, sir. And uh, coming on here with these knuckleheads, uh, my newfound friends, uh, I have thoroughly enjoyed it as always. And uh, thank you for everything you do uh, for Dogman Witnesses and uh, Bigfoot Witnesses and Paranormal Witnesses and just uh, everybody in general. You're a great guy, and I'm uh, proud to call you a friend, and I'm glad I've... Uh, got to know you over these years and i look forward to the future well thank you sir i really can't say enough good things about mad in return it's not uh, just cheap reciprocity when you look at all the players in the cryptic community i mean who's been around longer than matt that that does it the right way so no i've always been really impressed by the way you you do what you do matt and I just wish there were more people in this like you. So if anyone's looking to get into this and is looking for a good model, well, there's your model right there to follow. It's a, ble it's a blessing uh, to have his friendship and have him part of the show and be able to speak to him on the regular. It really is. Debs. Um, thank you so much for coming and speaking to us. It's exciting to get to broach a topic that we don't hear about enough, in my opinion. Um, I'd really like of course, for you to come back one day. And um, if you want to just slip us some of those dog man videos, <laughs> that would be appreciated because I'm always asking people to show me. I want to see because um, I'm, I'm not in the woods ever. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you so much again, truly. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for saying all those nice words, but Matt mentioned a check. Where do I get the check? Gonna... <laughs> we were talking to that guy right now. Uh, yeah, checks in the mail, as they used to say. Uh, Vic, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for your time, uh, being very generous, generous with your time, and, and also sharing your heart. I think I got a really strong sense of your your, your passion for the topic, and but more than that, the passion for the people who have had these experiences and your willingness to listen to them, even if they don't end up on a podcast. I know that, that makes a huge difference and, and that comes through in your, in your shows. And, uh, as something I picked up on right away, which is why I wanted to share your content with DJ. So it's a, it's a real pleasure to have you with us and to spend this chat with you. Well, it's been yeah. a pleasure talking with all of you, Deb. I made some fun there, but no, it's been great meeting you and talking with you as well as everyone here. So yeah, it's been a great time. And anytime you guys want to have me come back on, please do let me know. I'd be happy to come back. Uh, I'm gonna yeah, so yeah, but just for my little Ashbill, yeah, definitely it was uh awesome to have you on, uh, Vic. It's been so long that I wanted to have you on. I didn't know if it was gonna happen, so I'm so glad that it has. And next next time we'd like to get some of your favorite narratives that you've heard. So we'll save that uh and, and hit that up on a part two because we'd love to hear on uh narratives that that moved you the most for one reason or another. Um, and I, I'd like to just give you a chance to just one more time to just say the, the shows that you have. And again, the links uh, that, that Vic gives me will be in the show notes of this episode. But please go ahead and say that. Uh, speak that out, please. 
Well, I produce four podcasts. The biggest one by far is Dogman Encounters. If you'd like to find out how to listen to the show, well, of course, Dogman Encounters is available in podcast format on your favorite podcast platform, just like all the other shows are. But to find out as much info as you can about Dogman Encounters, what I do, the show, you name it, please go to the website, which is at dogmanencounters.com. And then as far as my new Bigfoot show would go, it's called My Bigfoot Sighting. What makes it different is I don't interview the guest. I don't ask any questions. There's no back and forth. It's just true story time where I witness after I witness comes on and shares their Sasquatch-related experiences. My Bigfoot Sighting is also available on any of the podcast platforms out there, Spreaker, Spotify, you name it. It's on your favorite podcast platform it's also available on youtube again it's called my bigfoot sighting if you go to my bigfootsighting.com you can find out more about the show and then my staple as far as my bigfoot podcasts go that would be bigfoot eyewitness radio to find out more about that show please go to bigfooteyewitness.com my Bigfoot sighting is really gaining on that very quickly, but yeah, I started airing episodes of Bigfoot Eyewitness in 2016, so it's been around for a long time. But yeah, lastly is my paranormal podcast. It's called My Paranormal Experience. It's available on all the podcast platforms as well. It's available on YouTube. To find out more about that show, please go to my p-a-r-a-e-x dot com my para x dot com and you can find out basically whatever you'd like to know about the show so can having I said get that it? amen <laughs> amen thanks again so much for having me having said all that <laughs> that was awesome man you got I, I i don't know how you have time with all these shows but uh it's it's a great it's a great pursuit to have and it's so much fun to to do as a hobby i'm glad you're able to to get out for these things so um we you you guys will see uh vic back here for a part two we'll do it again so for uh De for vic for deb for matt for money nathan and for our departed leah prime and jules in the chat thank you jules this is dj saying peace out one love. We'll see you down the road. And as always, the cabbies are wondering what's up around the bend. <laughs>